Section 129 of Chesterfield's Letters to His Son. Read for LibriVox.org into the public domain. Letter 160. London, February 20th, Old Style, 1752. My dear friend, in all systems whatsoever, whether of religion, government, morals, etc., perfection is the object always proposed, though possibly unattainable. Hitherto at least, certainly unattained. However, those who aim carefully at the mark itself will unquestionably come nearer it than those who from despair, negligence, or indolence leave to chance the work of skill. This maxim holds equally true in common life. Those who aim at perfection will come infinitely nearer it than those desponding or indolent spirits, who foolishly say to themselves, Nobody is perfect. Perfection is unattainable. To attempt it is chimerical. I shall do as well as others. Why then should I give myself trouble to be what I can never can, and what, according to the common course of things, I need not be, perfect? I am very sure that I need not point out to you the weakness and the folly of this reasoning, if it deserves the name of reasoning. It would discourage and put a stop to the exertion of any one of our faculties. On the contrary, a man of sense and spirit says to himself, though the point of perfection may, considering the imperfection of our nature, be unattainable, my care, my endeavours, my attention, shall not be wanting to get as near it as I can. I will approach it every day. Possibly I may arrive at it at last. At least, what I am sure is in my own power, I will not be distanced. Many fools, speaking of you, say to me, What? Would you have him perfect? I answer, Why not? What hurt would it do him or me? Oh, but that is impossible, they say. I reply, I am not sure of that. Perfection in the abstract I admit to be unattainable, but what is commonly called perfection in a character I maintain to be attainable, and not only that, but in every man's power. He hath, continue they, a good head, a good heart, a good fund of knowledge, which would increase daily. What would you have more? Why, I would have everything more that can adorn and complete a character. Will it do his head, his heart, or his knowledge any harm, to have the utmost delicacy of manners, the most shining advances of air and address, the most endearing attentions, and the most engaging graces? But as he is, they say, he is loved wherever he is known. I am very glad of it, say I, but I would have him be liked before he is known, and loved afterward. I would have him, by his first abhorred and address, make people wish to know him, and incline to love him. He will save a great deal of time by it. Indeed, reply they, you are too nice, too exact, and lay too much stress upon things that are of very little consequence. Indeed, rejoin I, you know very little of the nature of mankind, if you take those things to be of little consequence. One cannot be too attentive to them. It is they that always engage the heart, of which the understanding is commonly the bubble. And I would much rather that he erred in point of grammar, of history, of philosophy, etc., than in point of manners and address. But consider— he is very young. All this will come in time. I hope so, but that time must be when he is young, or it will never be at all. The right plea must be taken young, or it will never be easy or seem natural. Come, come, say they, substituting, as is frequently done, assertion instead of argument. Depend upon it, he will do very well, and you have a great deal of reason to be satisfied with him. I hope and believe he will do well, but I would have him do better than well. I am very well pleased with him, but I would be more, I would be proud of him. I would have him have luster as well as weight. Did you ever know anybody that reunited all these talents? 
"'Yes, I did,' Lord Bolingbroke joined all the politeness, the manners, and the graces of a courtier, to the solidity of a statesman, and to the learning of a pedant. He was omnis homo, and pray, what should hinder my boy from being so too, if he hath, as I think he hath, all the other qualifications that you allow him? Nothing can hinder him, but neglect of, or inattention to, those objects which his own good sense must tell him, are of infinite consequence to him, and which therefore I will not suppose him capable of either neglecting or despising. This, to tell you the whole truth, is the result of a controversy that passed yesterday, between Lady Hervey and myself, upon your subject, and almost in the very words. I submit the decision of it to yourself. Let your own good sense determine it, and make you act in consequence of that determination. The receipt to make this composition is short and infallible. Here I give it to you. Take variety of the best company, wherever you are. Be minutely attentive to every word and action. Imitate, respectively, those whom you observe to be distinguished and considered for any one accomplishment. Then mix all those several accomplishments together, and serve them up yourself to others. I hope your fair, or rather your brown American, is well. I hear that she makes very handsome presents, if she is not so herself. I am told there are people at Paris who expect, from this secret connection, to see in time a volume of letters, superior to Madame Graffini's Peruvian ones. I lay in my claims to one of the first copies. Francis's genie, Eugenia, hath been acted twice, with most universal applause. To-night is his third night, and I am going to it. I did not think it would have succeeded so well, considering how long our British audiences have been accustomed to murder, racks, and poison in every tragedy. But it affected the heart so much, that it triumphed over habit and prejudice. All the women cried, and all the men were moved. The prologue, which is a very good one, was made entirely by Garrick. The epilogue is old Sibber's, but corrected, though not enough, by Francis. He will get a great deal of money by it, and consequently be better able to lend you sixpence upon any emergency. The Parliament of Paris, I find by the newspapers, has not carried its point concerning the hospitals, and though the king hath given up the archbishop, yet as he has put them under the management and direction du Grand Conseil, the Parliament is equally out of the question. This will naturally put you upon inquiring into the constitution of the Grand Conseil. You will doubtless inform yourself who it is composed of, what things are de son resort, whether or not there lies an appeal from thence to any other place, and of all other particulars, that may give you a clear notion of this assembly. There are also three or four other conseils in France, of which you ought to know the constitution and the objects. I dare say you do know them already, but if you do not, lose no time in informing yourself. These things, as I have often told you, are best learned in various French companies, but in no English ones, for none of our countrymen trouble their heads about them. To use a very trite image, collect like the bee your store from every quarter. In some companies, parmi les fermiers généraux nommement, you may, by proper inquiries, get a general knowledge, at least, of les affaires des finances. When you are with des gens de robe, suck them with regard to the constitution, the civil government, and sic de cateras. This shows you the advantage of keeping a great deal of different French company, an advantage much superior to any that you can possibly receive from loitering and sauntering away evenings in any English company at Paris, not even excepting Lord A. Love of ease and fear of restraint, to both which I doubt you are, for a young fellow too much addicted, may invite you among your countrymen, 
but pray withstand those mean temptations, et prenez sur vous, for the sake of being in those assemblies, which alone can inform your mind and improve your manners. You have not now many months to continue at Paris. Make the most of them. Get into every house there if you can. Extend acquaintance. Know everything and everybody there, that when you leave it for other places, you may be au fait, and even able to explain whatever you may hear mentioned concerning it. Adieu. End of section 129. Read by Professor Heather and By. For more free audiobooks or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org.